welcome to episode 66 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Proudly brought to you by H. Parsons Funeral Directors, an Australian family owned and operated funeral director, serving the Illawarra since 1893. Firstly, I'd like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the football community of the Illawarra, Australia and the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thanks to the brilliant people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Daniel Hastings is our interviewee in episode 66. Daniel started his football journey at Abbotsford Junior Soccer Club in Sydney before a family move to the Illawarra meant that he joined Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club. From here, Daniel experienced Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club, Illawarra Junior representative football teams, before entering the senior ranks with the Wollongong Wolves NSL youth team. During his stint with the Wolves youth team, Daniel joined Lysarts in the IPL, and during the next three decades also had stints in the IPL, Conference League and Amateur Leagues with West Fig Tree, Northern United, Western Suburbs, Bulleye, Berkeley and a few amateur football teams such as Harp Olympic, Mates United and the Coldar Waves. Daniel has experienced quite a bit as a first grade footballer and has interacted with many quality Illawarra football people during his football journey. Add in a brief stint with the Wollongong Wolves as a board member and his family's involvement in the game and you can understand why Daniel is a passionate footballer and a footballing person in the region. It was absolutely fantastic listening to Daniel talk about his footballing journey. I sincerely thank and appreciate the time Daniel took in recording this episode. Please note, as this episode was recorded over mobile phones, there are some slight issues at times with audio quality, and for that I apologise. Please enjoy episode 66. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in uh, my study in Coromel and on the other side of this mobile phone call is a very special guest in Daniel Hastings. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you having me. We've been communicating for a while, and uh, firstly, I'd like to thank you for your support um, on the social media space and in linking others into reminiscing, um, especially on Facebook. Uh, It's been a a delight to have you help me, and uh, it's even more of a delight to have you on the podcast. Uh, What's your first memory of football? Football, my my family was probably a little bit of a late starter. My, My old man... Uh, only got into it when my brother and I got into it as kids. I didn't start playing till under 10s. Uh, we originally lived in Sydney. I played for Abbotsford, Abbotsford Junior Soccer Club. Yeah, really just as, as per, I'm sure, a lot of people, they had a friend playing or something like that, and that's what happened with me. And uh, me and my brother ended up in our respective age groups um, up there before we moved to the Illawarra. And at Abbotsford, uh, what do you recall of those couple of years at that junior club? Look, I only have good thoughts. It was, I think, one and a half years really there um, before we moved to the Illawarra. So it was really our infancy. But 
it was I def, it definitely um, was a nice atmosphere at that club from you know looking back as an adult now and and I think uh, fostered what eventually was uh, a pretty a pretty strong love of the game in, in its infancy. And having a, a sibling, a brother, play the game as well, uh, did that help stoke the passion of football inside you? Yeah, and within the family. And I think um, my old man, although he probably had more of a musician's background than a sporting background, he, he, the only sporting background he had as a kid was probably typical of his era where it was you know, rugby league or, or what have you, uh, going to a Catholic boys' school and all that sort of thing as a kid. So, yeah, I, I think uh, it sort of fostered not just for me but... Uh, for for all our family and uh, got heavily involved pretty quickly, um, but that probably especially happened when we moved to the Illawarra. The family did move to the Illawarra, and uh, the next uh, call on your soccer journey was Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club. Uh, what do you recall there? And you know, I think it was around '85 you you joined the club. Yep, uh, moved moved to the Illawarra then, and and really it was just a local club thing. And and I, I remember thinking, oh, this is great because. There's a local club, whereas I was living in Petersham in Sydney and going to school in Stanmore, but going out to Abbotsford, which I think, I don't know, would have been a 15-minute drive away or something in the in the, the joys of Sydney traffic. So um, the novelty factor as a kid uh, was uh, was definitely there, that there was one, you know, pretty close to home and uh, where all my schoolmates, uh, et cetera, were. And, and so it was pretty quick that we got involved in that club. But uh, as I said, it was halfway through the season when we moved down here. And um, I remember myself at least playing a year up just to fit into a team, <laughs> which I think in hindsight was great. Um, I think it was like a third division team and under 12s and I should have been under 11s. But yeah, it sort of enabled, enabled me to sort of grow in confidence so that I was playing with older kids and probably get a little bit more ambitious, if I'm honest too, which was, which was good in hindsight. And uh, at Abbotsford and that first uh, year at Fig Tree, uh, were you playing a certain position or was it just uh, wherever the coach put you? Mostly on the wing, which I guess when it comes to senior football and rep football, you know, there must have been something in that. They uh, uh, had a lot of time on the wings and out wide, generally speaking. But um, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, out wide. And, you know, I probably, you know, I had it, probably, I definitely had the touch of an elephant then. and but I guess they recognised I had a bit of pace, so uh, they put me out there and um, eventually got a, a little bit more of a, a grounding there in the game. 86 and 87, you were still at Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club. Uh, did you still, in those two years there, did you play up a grade or did you go back to your age group in those two years? Yeah, dropped back. Yeah, ended up dropping back. Um, the late Reg Buckman, who was a bit of a stalwart at the Fig Tree juniors and I think he helped out in the seniors as well was was my coach at that point and um yeah again you know with my with my mates that were in my year at school and all that sort of thing so it was a nice uh good team to to keep fostering things along with yeah and tell us a bit about Reg um these podcasts that I do uh bring about great community people like Reg uh, I've heard of the name uh, can you tell us a bit about what you saw him do in terms of being a clubman and and being a coach as well yeah, he was like the gear steward as well as a coach. Uh, he had a son um, in the team as well. Just one of those, you know, soul of the earth sort of guys uh, there to, you know, provide an opportunity for kids. When and you know you you're ignorant to that sort of stuff when you are young, but um, I think as you get older and you're a parent yourself and you see the contribution that these sort of people make, he was one of those guys that you thought, Jesus, he really he really did put in. So. Um, 
yeah, definitely made a, a, a big uh, commitment to those clubs both before we were around and, and after as well and enjoyed a beer watching the uh, the seniors. And, and actually, when I think about it as I speak, I, I think he uh, probably helped us as a family sort of get involved with the juniors but also the seniors uh, And you know, because he enjoyed it there. And so we started, he, he might have been probably that first link now, I think about it, to, to us, I don't know, hanging around later on in the day at Harry Graham Park and, you know, wanting to ball boy and getting involved and getting to know the players and things like that. So, yeah, as I, as I think about it now, that probably was a, uh, a more significant situation in that regard where we got really involved in the, the junior and senior clubs there. And uh, fellow teammates in those first couple of years of Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club, uh, any of them still mates today or you still see around? Yeah, definitely some um, some mates. Like, look, I wouldn't say that... Um, they're they're my closest friends, but they're they're very good friends when um, uh, when we see them, and uh, be it in that team with Reg or uh, seasons after that, um, you know they're all they're all old schoolmates, and yeah, it's it's a good time when uh, when we cross paths or um, or have a, have a beverage together. And for yourself, there you you did speak of uh, being a ball boy at, at Harry Graham. Uh, what was that like for you? Uh, watching senior football at a, at a young age. Yeah, it just made me more keen for it to be honest. And when you think back again that that era in the in the eighties going into the early nineties when we were either ball boying or just generally spectating, um, bloody good team at West Fig Tree back in the day. Yeah. You know, some of the guys of whom you've uh, probably in, that you have interviewed in, in your other um in your other podcast uh, files there too so so yeah some great players you know I, I get to wrap off a few names if you like um, you know Phil Brown's probably the obvious one guys like Heil uh, Ian Witheridge uh, Sean Billington and Goals who was sort of floating at that time between local and, and Wolves uh, you know NSL football at that stage I think Larry Barringer came into play um, Darren Knees I recall being a ridiculously good striker Donny Martinoski was probably five years older than me and you're starting to see him getting a run at 17, 18. I've missed a lot of good names there otherwise, uh, quite frankly. But yeah, that, you know, names that stick in my head now and um, I like to hassle the fact that I'm 47 now and that I used to ball boy for those guys when I see them. <laughs> <laughs> 88, you then uh, got into the under-13s Illawarra rep team. Mm-hmm. Can you recall um, uh, the trials and the excitement of being selected in that team and, and what that meant to you at the time? It was exciting. I was probably a little bit fortunate, to be fair. I wasn't the biggest kid, and, and nor, nor the most talented either. And at that point in time, that year, in fact, uh, there was a rule change where that you could, um, if your birthday was after, I think it was about the 1st of October, you could actually play back a year. And I think, if I'm honest, that probably helped me a bit to effectively have a second year in 13s like so I've gone from 13th local league to 13s rep trials and um, probably just gave me a little bit more confidence that you know I'm I'm slightly older than some of these guys and gave me that opportunity to get in there but yeah I tried pretty well and none of them would have known who I was at that stage and um, remember bagging a couple of goals at the trials and yeah ended up jagging a spot so it was exciting I was keen to, to have a crack and yeah it was really really good times. And in terms of the coach and, and fellow players and, and the year itself, what do you recall of it? It was actually challenging in, in some regards. Um, that first year, I literally did not play one full game, uh, which you wouldn't probably hear of these days. Um, I, I was always 
almost always on the bench. Probably a couple of games where you, you know, my parents have probably driven me up to Sydney and didn't get a didn't get a run as well. So I was very much on the fringe. But it was a good little team, and a few of those guys went on to uh, to do a little bit in senior football as well. And yeah, look, I, it's it was tough at the time as a kid, but um, in some ways you sort of look back now and say, well, well, that sort of toughened you up, and probably sorted sorted me out a little bit if I wanted to do it. So yeah, so that year was pros and cons, I think, but it, it certainly gave me the appetite to keep going. And the following year in '89, you you went back to your your club side in Fig Tree Junior Soccer Club. Uh, like you yep. said, the, you were on the fringes. So did you sort of in your mind know that that was a possibility the following year? Yeah, and I, I just felt like I wasn't going to get a, a run or a, a, just a, a reasonable opportunity either based on that first year. But I felt I did well. Uh, went back and played 14s at Fig Tree, which, uh, you know, I just um, remember thinking I'm just going to dominate this, which I you know, I felt very comfortable there. So it was good. Uh, I, you know, sometimes you take a step backwards to get to go to take two steps forward sort of thing. So I think that was a little bit of that going on at that time. And, you know, those sort of experience I reference now with my young blokes uh, that have played a little bit of rep football too. So I think it's been good experience for me in life in general, let alone uh, pass on, passing on experiences to my young blokes as well. And like you said, there was a, a step backwards to, to then go forwards again. Uh, the following two years in, in 1990 and 1991, where it was under 15 Zillawarra and then under 17 Zillawarra. Mm-hmm. What do you recall of those two years in terms of, uh, I guess, the change from the first time you then represented the Illawarra and for those yep. two years? Yeah, well, again, I think the 13s experience uh, toughened me up a bit. Uh, the 14s uh, experience back at Fig Tree probably gave me confidence as well, so a combination of tough and toughness and confidence. And then uh, the 15s, I really had a, a good go. And before too long, I, I was often figuring in those first 11s and um, probably the fact, too, that uh, the coach at the time, who was a very young uh, Jeff Allport, he right. was only about 21. Again, another one of your interviewees. Yeah, but he was for a young coach, and you think back, you know, he probably seemed older to us at the time. But he was uh, he was a good coach for his first little gig, I suppose. And um, I've actually said it to him uh, in more recent years. I said, "Oh, look, I still I still think I learned a lot from him in those couple of years, particularly defensively." And I think he was more recognising of of a kid that was um, prepared to put in the yards and and show. I was showing I was going to work and have a crack at this. I wasn't going to die wondering. And other players that you recall from from those two years in 1990-91? Yeah, all those rep years, I guess, with Illawarra. You know, there was a few names there. Uh, David Kerr comes to mind, the Marola twins. Um, Tony Namoski played a lot of senior football eventually as well as those guys. A few guys there, otherwise, Rob Savesky. But not all of them went on, as as is often the case. They don't always go on to, to concentrate on senior football. Uh, Tom uh, Tom Bukovich, I should say, who was also a, a, a fig tree boy and you know a school schoolmate of mine. Yeah, some you know that, those sort of guys. I suppose are the ones that some of the listeners might know because they played uh, local or local Premier League or better um, as years went on. Stephen Baz comes to mind too, I should say, as I, as I'm speaking. And what about uh, playing against those other? predominantly Sydney representative teams. Um, uh, is there anything that sort of springs to mind in in your memory that you go, oh, I remember this game against this team or or where you had a good run at, at other teams? 
Oh, look, I think it was always uh, typical of those NFL sort of clubs that were always the challenging ones. Um, obviously, they were drawing not just from their local area, but from uh, broader Sydney as well, quite often. So, you know, the the Sydney United or Sydney Croatians, as it probably was known back then, Sydney Olympics, Maconis, um, of course, they were the, the big ones. And it was often a bit of a novelty too, because at times, not maybe not every time, but you often got to play on the... Uh, on the stadiums as well, which was a real buzz as a young bloke. Um, you know, the games that, you know, I was getting into watching the Wolves and, and so forth then as well. And so to, to, to grace those fields that they were gracing um, was a real novelty. So it was the standard. And, you know, you got to know a few of those guys later on and ended up being, you know, perhaps uh, NSL or, or even Socceroo type levels. Um, and that probably... Uh, carried on further even more so when when you know you start, well, I was lucky enough to make Wolves youth teams for a couple of years too so you you genuinely got to know who those guys were and um, enjoyed those challenges of playing against some pretty pretty good talent. Before we then step forward to that Wolves youth uh, progression that you you then spoke about and that's in your timeline, you also were part of a a strong Fig Tree High school team. Can you yeah. talk a bit about yeah. that and and the competitions that you played in and the successes that you had as a high school? Yeah, as a year eight kid, so that would have been 1988, we um, were in the Bill Turner Cup, which I'm sure a lot of listeners have played in or been involved in some way when they're in high school. Uh, that's the under-15 comp. At that stage, I think it was a statewide comp, whereas nowadays it's more national. But yep. um, we had a couple of guys that were playing. Probably Alex Valella comes to mind. He was... Uh, a noted junior player, probably didn't go on too much because of injuries and whatnot uh, into senior football to a huge degree. But, um, yeah, he was a state-level junior player and he was probably our only one, other than myself, playing a little bit of Illawarra and under-13s at that point, uh, ended up having any notable rep experience. And, um, yeah, we ended up in the final. Uh, and I, I do recall, actually, in the semi-finals, and we played that semi-final, I think it was Fairfield Patrician Brothers, perhaps, Yep. which I know is a pretty good league school, but I, 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 if, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that was who we played. But what was memorable was seeing for the first time uh, Chichi Mendes playing for them, wow. uh, who, who was a, you know, obviously ended up being a Socceroo, et cetera. And um, he was just like a little Maradona. He had, you know, short and strong in stature, uh, ridiculous skill. So that, that guy, yeah, he, he comes to mind... Um, uh, as far as that Bill Turner Cup run is concerned and, and the fact that it was at Marconi Stadium. And then we ended up in the final, which is usually always held up at Spears Point. We beat them somehow too on penalties, uh, even though they were a good team. And then we, yeah, that took us through to the um, the latter stages at Spears Point in, in Maitland, where we stayed for a night or two and um, won the semi there, but also then got into uh, the final. We lost that. And that was to uh, Maitland, the Catholic school in Maitland. Um, probably nothing. The only at that time didn't really know any of their players, but Richard Johnson, who ended up being a soccerer, and I know he had a good career in um, in the UK yeah. as well. Um, he uh, probably didn't have a huge soccerer's career, but all the same, clearly a talent, and um, he was in that team also, which I only found out years later. At this point, you weren't just watching games at, at Harry Graham. You were also watching uh, NSL games with the Wollongong yep. Wolves. Uh, yep. What do you recall about um, that sort of late 80s, um, early 90s, before you made the, the Wolves youth team of, of uh, going to watch games and, and sort of who, who were you really watching or attracted to as a fan? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, again, it was sort of the progression of our family getting into the game. And um, I guess when we were in Sydney, even though we were in Petersham, which is probably pretty close to Apia, didn't really, weren't getting into it enough. And probably also, you know, it's probably more an Italian club, perhaps. Maybe that's part of it. But I think it was just our progression. Um, that when we got down here, there was more opportunity to get involved in football at all levels. So, yeah, to go and watch a National League team in your home, your new home city was awesome. Um so yeah, always down the showground. Um, we we oh who who was playing then? I, I suppose uh, starting from the back, it would have been Warwick Young, David Green, uh, Ray Valestra, probably Holyfield before too long into that period. Um, Jock Jock Melando, all you know that back line there is all guys I've ended up getting to know pretty well in later years. Um, Copley, uh, Cotamanidi is another name that yeah. I got to know. Uh, yeah, maybe young Danzo's showing uh, also, um, let alone, um, yeah, so I don't know, just guys like that, Scotty Dixon comes to mind as well. Yeah, a lot of good names there uh, to sort of get us more into uh, the top level for, for Aussie football. And that 91-92 season, um, you were then selected in the Wolves NSL youth team. Um, mm-hmm. Could you believe it um, in, in some senses that a, a team that you were watching and uh, the senior team that you were now part of this club uh, training at the same facilities and, and part of this youth squad? Yeah, that was a buzz for me. I, I, I wasn't 100% sure if I'd make it. Again, I was always that fringe guy and I was used to that, but in some ways I think it made sure that I worked hard. And I remember Chris James was the youth team coach at that time. Um, who was also a youth development sort of guy for Illawarra District Soccer as well at the time. And um, I remember, actually, interestingly, I was sort of in the back line, almost pretty much playing stopper. I don't know, I was either right back or right stopper or something like that, just to fill in the gap there. And uh, I was playing against a guy by the name of Derek Poimer, who, who was already getting, I think we are playing a trial game, in fact, against the New South Wales schools, because Chris James was involved in that as well. And um, so I had a good game against him. Maybe he, uh, maybe he didn't take me seriously because I was about <laughs> half his size to start with. He was a big, big, strong boy as a striker. But um, I, you know, I wasn't going to die wondering. And I, I probably, besides running my proverbials off, I, I, I think I kicked the crap out of him a couple of times, quite frankly. And um, that was probably enough for Chris to show that you know I was prepared to do what I had to do. So uh, I think I was still very much on the fringe in those early that first year and took a while to get a start in those Wolves youth teams. But it was a buzz. And, you know, besides watching, I mean, I remember the second year I arrived, and I'm probably slightly digressing for you here, sorry, Trav. But, no, all good. Um, I, I ended up, uh, I remember Paul, my brother, and I um, wrote a letter to the club, and I don't know, as a kid, who do you write to? So I wrote to John Fleming, <laughs> the coach, saying I wanted to be a ball boy. And then, of course, uh, again, you get to know these names later on in life. And Neville Arrowsmith, who is another good historian of local football, as, as I'm sure you'd acknowledge, Trav. And yeah, um, yeah, not again, not that you know these guys when you're, I don't know, 11-ish or something. But um, yeah, Nev was calling me, so yeah, we got your letter, come come down. And so yeah, pretty much for that next year or so, we, uh, my brother and I ended up being ball boys as well. So ball boying, spectating, and then to pull on a shirt, uh, even in the initial friendly games, was uh, a bit of a buzz. And you talked about digressing there, but for yourself, when you uh, uh, look back on it and what you've experienced and what you've done, do you see any value in you um, as a boy and then as a as a young young man or teenager uh, watching good footballers and, and learning from watching? Say you were watching a great West Victory team of the 80s and early 90s and then you were 
going to watch NSL teams and, and being a ball boy, you're close to the action. Do you think you can learn by watching a little bit as well? Oh, massively. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I think um, you just you just pick up those little tricks uh, in the flesh. I mean, it's one thing to watch it on TV sometimes, which is great. And, you know, I was that kid watching it on SBS, all the international stuff. But, um, you know, to see guys that are actually doing that in front of you at, at pace and, you know, in the flesh was massive. Yeah. And, and again, just further um, stoke the fire uh, to, to want to keep keep trying to do it. By the time that you were in the the Wolves youth setup, Chris James, uh, like you said, was your coach. Uh, what do you think his main assets were as a coach, and and what did he teach you? Oh, look, I, I think yeah, technically he was he was pretty good. I think he, he always wanted us to to play um, play a good a good style, from what I recollect. Again, I think as a as a guy that was probably on the fringe, I, I guess you sort of appreciate those people that keep an open mind, like like Jeff Allport did. Probably for me in the rep football, um, that okay might not have been uh, coming out of the blocks as far as being the dominant first eleven player, but definitely uh, recognise when someone's putting in the effort and um, and giving them a chance when when effort is there. So um, I think that was, you know, I think I won him over, you know, getting into that first year and definitely into the second year where I was a, a genuine consideration for first eleven. But no, I think and you know he was uh, he, he was dealing with a lot of good footballers because he was high up in the New South Wales and even Australian schoolboy setups, and some of the things that he was seeing and 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 uh, his knowledge of of junior you know that rep junior football sort of levels was was very strong also. So yeah, no, I think uh, technically and um, his uh, open mindedness was um, was was good to see and, and refreshing when you look back. For yourself in that team, there was as it should be at a, a national soccer league uh, youth level, there was some quality players like the, the Marola twins, you know, Shane Williams, Nathan Metcalf, um, yeah. you know, uh, Kerr as well, and Stephen Baggett, Johnny Simonovsky yep. that you were playing with. But uh, to see someone like Sasho Domoski, um, how was it to see a sort of brighter young talent like him uh, be part of your team and then progress into the first team? So, yeah, Sasha Domoski was, you know, very young. I think he was 16 when he um, made his debut with Memory Sirs. Um, he was a big kid and a talented one at that as well. Uh, big kid in nature, literally and in nature, but um, uh, still is. But, um, yeah, so it was. It was good. He was already pretty much in the first team set up by the time I was getting into the youth team, which, which says plenty. And we were about the same age. So, But, yeah, it was. It, it showed that it's possible, and at least um, when you're around those sort of things happening it, it makes you realize that you are able to uh to improve and, and put in an effort and, and see how you go did you ever get a chance uh, in that setup to sort of interact with with the senior team or or even the senior yeah. coach david ratcliffe and and what was that like if you did yeah ratcliffe uh it was i mean obviously we we're a little bit more on the fringes of of the first team and often coached uh, uh trained with them of course and you know, in and around the dressing rooms, we're crossing paths and everything as well. So, and uh, Ratcliffe, you know, at that time, he, I think he was close to that era. He he was like coach of the year, and there was I think it was when the Wolves started to mature a little bit and get decent results. You know, we were getting into the semis or verging on that sort of thing at times at that point in time. So, it was interesting. I mean, yeah, and again, David Ratcliffe, you know, started watching him in Socceroos Socceroos games um, in in our early days too. So. 
very hard man, but a good coach at the same time. And um, you, you knew you were in a professional setup, albeit perhaps semi-professional back in the NFL days. But you knew you were because he, he wasn't taking any rubbish from from anyone. So uh, yeah, it sort of gave the realities of life. For, you know, you got you got a real uh, reality check, I suppose, with um, with seeing those sort of things. And was there anything that you saw with some of the senior players? Like you said, you'd been watching the Wolves, you'd been a ball boy at the Wolves, you'd seen some of these guys that were still in the senior team. Uh, was there something different that you saw at training that surprised you a bit that you you didn't see on game day? You you got to see them, uh, you know, for real people, and some of the, some of them are strengths and some of them are weaknesses, like everyone has. Um, so it was it was insightful. Just as a person, as personal development in general, not just for football, in fairness as well. So, um, yeah, got to see what what um, really happened, and and definitely got to see uh, why some of them got there too, because you could see that that some guys are doing extras and things like that um, on a regular basis. So, yeah, you sort of started to see the level of commitment that that was really required. During this period as well, um, you then, because of the the way the seasons were set up in the NSL, that in in '92 um, you you were back at uh, in in the local Premier League with you went back to Lysarts, um who had Mike Hollyfield as a player coach. Um, uh, I'm curious there as a as a fig tree junior, was there a, a potential that you were going to go back to West Fig Tree and why you didn't go there? Yes, it was probably with some reluctance, uh, even though we very much enjoyed it. You know, enjoyed life starts in the end. But um, I, th- I think it was uh, my brother probably just didn't have the best experience with a coach uh, that was involved in the junior, you know, in the under nineteen setup at that time. Uh, so as a, together, uh, we decided to um, just go over the road. At least it was the next local club, so it was yep. practical. Uh, knew knew a couple of people there, but not a lot. But uh, become. We certainly become part of the fab- fabric there as well. So, um, yeah, uh, we spent a few years there off and on, and um, uh, that was a great experience. And a lot of guys that you know I still see around the traps now that we played with or were involved in the club at that time. It was uh, a great era. Well, before we talk a bit more about Lysarts, um, in terms of your uh, NSL uh, journey there, where you had a couple of years in the youth team, um, uh, for you uh, mentally, um, when it came to an end, um, was it something that you knew was a potential reality and, and you were fine with the opportunities you received or, or was it still slightly disappointing when it did end? I, I look. I think you'd, you'd love to have been picked up. Uh, I, you know, I think in hindsight it would have been a big struggle for me to to make first grade. I, you know, I've got some talents, but I don't know if I'm the most far from the most talented. There's a lot more talented guys around than me, but um, it sort of coincided too with um, my starting in real estate. And uh, so I was about not, I was 19 when I started in real estate. So um, I guess if and, and my father was involved with the Wolves at this time, roughly as well. So he was seeing the comings and going with the players a lot. And I did have chats with uh, with coaches and so forth that, that were involved, uh, you know, probably some influence from the likes of a Ratcliffe or something where, you know, maybe if I had to do that, it would probably be wise to be going and trying State League or something. And, you know, maybe, you know, there was definitely some consideration to not dying wondering and say, well, you know what, I'm a fresh Wolves youth player from the NSL, then go up and play NPL if you can get a gig and... Um, you know, try and earn your stripes that way and progress accordingly. 
it just it wasn't practical. If I really wanted to make real estate, I, I, the travel was going to be an issue. Um, it's hard enough to get a gig when you're 19 in real estate. <laughs> yeah, so that was sort of how it how it went. And in fairness, too, when I started playing, you know, finished walls and was pushing for first grade teams, uh, including at Lysarts, I recall during the uh, Richard Evans's uh, era, um, I was struggling to make the team. And I think I think in hindsight, that was just my adjust my life adjustment from um, going into real estate and the, you know the, the stresses of keeping a job when you're young and all that sort of thing and you know, probably just a, yeah, like a, a life adjustment for a year or two there, where I wasn't playing good enough anyway. So, uh, you know, I, I think from that perspective, um, probably made the right call which way I was going to make a, a better dollar out of. <laughs> <laughs> Those first couple of years you're at Lysarts, um, uh, I think '92, um, Mike Hollyfield was player coach, and then in '93, Neil Hardy um, was the first grade mm-hmm. coach. So, were you predominantly playing first grade, or were you part of? Um, because uh, I think in that 92-93 seasons, the youth grade, um, uh, I think, did the double in both years, um, uh, won their competitions in the league and won the grand final. Did you play a bit of both? Not much of first grade, uh, admittedly. Uh, it was I, I got brought in and I was captaining the, the youth team and it was a bloody good youth team, uh, which made that move to Lysarts instead of Fig Tree, uh, you know, very enjoyable and um, I think I think we sort of the old man sort of said that you know look you got year twelve don't bust a gut for first grade and I think that was sort of mentioned to to Neil a little bit but um, I was enjoying it anyway because we were in such a good youth team and um, I think we won the double if memory serves yeah. we definitely won a grand that grand final against Coromel where uh, uh, a Scott Chipperfield was on the bench if my memory serves me correct uh, which sounds crazy. Um, <laughs> Uh, for Coral, but um, he was a year or so younger than me. So, no, it was really good times. And, you know, a lot of those guys went on to, to first grade, uh, be it at Life Arts or elsewhere, uh, for some years to come. Yeah, well, tell us, uh, you know, that 92 season, it was uh, just looking at the stats now. Um, the youth grade were first, the league champions, and won the grand final. And 93 did the same, but additionally did uh, won the youth cup. So, uh, can you talk about, you know, who was the coach and, and a couple of those players that then went on to to bigger and brighter things in the Premier League? So, yeah, look, I think, yeah, Ian Golding was the coach. He, he was a, a lovely bloke and really facilitated uh, that team very nicely. And there was just a really good um, talent pool of young young guys there at that time. And, and, again, I don't think they were that type of club to deliberately go fishing for players left, right and centre for a youth team. They... I think a lot of it just evolved really, really well. And, um, you know, even the likes of me and my brother arriving, and uh, although my brother was pretty young at that stage, so he, he probably wasn't, he was more on the fringe. But, um, yeah, you had you, you even had a, a very young Noel Spencer there. Wow. Uh, I think he would have been 14, 15 maybe at the most, uh, starting to play a bit of 19s and more than holding his own. Uh, and obviously later on he progressed so well with his career, but... Um, uh, and his older brother, of course, um, Jason Jasper Spencer, who uh, still involved on, uh, with coaching at the Flame these days, etc. That you know they come to mind along with um, a number of other guys that that um, were a joy to play with, quite frankly. Um, and uh, so yeah, no, I think it was just one of those things that just come together very nicely, and and it definitely provided uh, that club with some um, some homegrown talent uh, for a few years there as well. So. Yeah, good club to be involved with, um, both on and off the pitch. And, 
you know, it was in the years later on, it was a bit of a shame that that it didn't stick together or didn't stay together. But um, but all the same, some good people and and very good memories. And and what about um, some of the club people themselves uh, that you recall being around? Um, although as a mm-hmm. player um, and being a bit younger, sometimes we uh, don't notice it. But at a club like Lysarts, I'm sure there was some some men and women behind the scenes. Um, who do you recall at the club? Uh, Bobby Young, probably the obvious one. Bobby Newman as well. Um, yep. I think they they were probably the glue. If you know, and again, I was the probably the ignorant younger bloke then. But um, when you try and look back, uh, they were the glue of the of the club. That and it had a lot of other good people. And there was, you know, it was a very British club actually, um, which um, was sort of funny. It's, it's no different really. <laughs> when you look back, it's no different to. You know, a, a Greek club or a Matto club or an Italian club or whatever. You know, it, that was a that was the British club for sure. And uh, so you had. I, I remember that uh, first grand final, and I think it was the first year we had. Um, uh, the first year was, if memory serves, and you'll probably correct me here, Trav. But um, the first year, I think it was just the youth team that was in that grand final. Maybe maybe even another team like a reserve grade team or something like that might have yeah. figured too. And up at that southern end in the grandstand of Paul's Paddock, where they had the grand final day, it was like a, a UK terrace. It was awesome. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people were talking about it for uh, for a little while. It was like you know, it was really like uh, a mini sort of you know championship terrace or something in uh, in, in England or whatever. So uh, yeah, they were singing and carrying on, and there was a little bit of that during normal. But when when the team was doing well in a, in a big event like a grand final or something, they were awesome. It was really a lot of fun. And the facility out there, what are your thoughts on Lysart's Oval um, as it was back then? It's now used by collegians as a rugby league field, but it was quite different. Tragically, yep. Yeah, it was quite, it's quite, <laughs> quite different when you played on it back then. What are your memories of, of playing in that facility? Because it was a really, uh, I guess, quaint um, and, and beautiful uh, facility. Oh, it really was. Um, you know, you did have the cricket pitch in the middle. Which you did have to contend with, but uh, it was sort of didn't matter so much when you had the rest of the pitch uh, in such pristine uh, condition. Uh, a mate of mine, or he became a mate more in recent years, Kevin Rawlings, Billy, as he was often referred to, was uh, actually the grounds guy for for Lysarts, the company, and so forth. So he was usually on the ground with that, and he was involved a little bit with the club, even though he wasn't a, a full football guy. And uh, at the, yeah, it was it was a, a real pleasure to, to to be around and um again you look back with um with uh, some fond memories but that also tinged with uh, some regret that there was uh, opportunities later on to perhaps keep it in local football but um you know the cars didn't fall that way at the end of the day but um yeah it's gone to the league now but um yeah at the end of the day it was uh, a great a great little venue to be uh, to be playing on week in week out 94, uh, um, you had uh, Richard Evans, mm-hmm. and then uh, 95, uh, Casey De Bruin. Um, uh, can you talk a little bit about those two guys as, as coaches? Richard, obviously, um, you know, had been around a while already. Uh, I know he floated in and out of our region, uh, had, had had some coaching gigs in Queensland, I think around the Orange and so forth yeah. as well. Around, you know, around those. He, he might be worth an interview if you can get him, but. Um, he, um, yeah, good coach, good good guy, a lot of fun off the park as well. Um, and as I think I touched on earlier, I, I probably wasn't playing at my best at that stage. I think, again, it was just when I was starting real estate and I think it was just a, a life adjustment for me and 
you know, probably under under a bit of duress trying to <laughs> trying to establish a career. But still, he he, he, def- he definitely gave me some opportunities, and um, and so I'm, I'm appreciative of that. And yeah, look, I've got a lot of time for him, and he's a decent coach. You know, run a good session and you know, good knowledge of the game clearly as well. And uh, what about Casey? Um, Ninety five. At- like I said, the uh, lower grades, especially youth grade in the years that you were there, were always perennial winners, if not near the top. Uh, yep. First grade wasn't, but in, in 95, uh, Casey uh, seemed to be, uh, I guess, the the spearhead of uh, turning first grade around. And, and how did you see yep. him as a coach? Casey, you know, he, he's clearly a, a, a very good coach. And, not you know, it's one thing to have all the badges. It's another thing to um, to execute those training sessions and so forth. Um, probably as good a, a you know a coach as far as training sessions and and running a team's concerned. I for whatever reason I I never got a real good gig with him. My brother did actually. My brother got to play in I think it was that '95 year of memory serves in the the grand final when we had all three teams and um, so I was more playing reserve grade but the issue with that for me of course was um you know reserve grades middle of the day and um I just couldn't make it regularly I could make the odd game and I actually had to pull the pin unfortunately when it was becoming evident that I wouldn't which probably looked like a dummy spit to Casey it wasn't it was just practical issues you know I couldn't keep asking week in week out yep to week in week out and I, I, I suspect and I you know you'd have to ask him but I suspect you know my my pulling out there was some comments made by yeah, uh, in, in the background where I wasn't privy to them, so I could only rely on, yeah, the potential Chinese whispers there that there was some things said, and uh, yeah, he was a bit of a hard man, a passionate man, and I, and I think uh, when uh, the club made the grand finals, uh, all, all three grades that year, um, if my memory is yeah, certain correct, right. and and um, that was that was because they kept progressing through the the final series through to the grand finals, they were literally skint for players. Uh, so um, even though I hadn't played for roughly half the season or a bit more, they asked me if I couldn't. Obviously, for a couple of more games, I could I could pull the strings of the bosses and um, uh, and get a run. But uh, that was fun because the you know the reserve grade guys uh, there was you know it was a great team and um, you had some guys from who were potential first graders. Except that you know the first grade team was doing so well and Steve Bradley comes to mind. I think they put me up front. Uh, which, you know, again, I'm usually out wide, but if you had someone like Stephen Bradley, who was a very smart striker, yeah, almost almost like a modern number 10, actually, probably would have been perfect in, in behind someone uh, feeding him a little bit. But uh, uh, he, he was just putting me into space a lot of the time and, you know, making runs. It just it was a breeze, to be honest, for, for those couple of games. Ended up jagging it. I think I got one to two goals in the semi-final that I come back to play and, and lucky enough to... Jag a winner in the grand final at Brandon Park that day too, um, and it was a one nil result. And you know, I, I, if memory serves, it was Steve um, giving me the assist, and I was just a running through and a one on one when I had some pace. So um, yeah, so that you know, even though it was uh, would have loved to have been involved first grade, it was still nice from our point of view because uh, my brother was getting a run in their defensive line against Port. They lost that day if memory serves, but I think we won both the. I think we won both the youth and definitely the reserve grade, but I think the youth grade as well. Who did you play against? Um, in that Grandy? Yeah. In that, yeah, that was Bulleye. One of the, yeah. the best reserve grade teams ever. Yeah, always there. Um, there or thereabouts. Um, again, probably those two, well, I think in fairness, Bulleye's done it 
for decades, literally, um, and probably to some degree still, but um, certainly in those 80s and 90s eras, uh, they always seemed to be there in reserve grade. So, um, so it was good. It was great. It was a, a great result for, for us on that, on that year. Was it a practical decision, like you said, with your, your vocation in life that you then moved on to West Fig Tree in 96? Yeah, went, so I guess I went home. And it wasn't a big, a hard decision, I guess. Uh, Phil Carr was coaching, which, you know, you always admire. Who hasn't watched football in that era and not admired Phil Carr's uh, results and coaching over those years? And so to genuinely properly play for him was uh, was appealing. Um, I, I clearly wasn't going to be getting a first-grade opportunity at Life Starts at that stage. Um, so, yeah, my brother and I both went over to West Fig Tree and, uh, yeah, we were, we were going back to, to friends and... Um, you know, schoolmates even as well that were still involved in the club, let alone the guys that we'd watched and and uh, ball boy for, etc. Still, some of them there too. So it was great. It was good to finally uh, do that properly. What about Phil? Uh, like I said, I've I've asked him many a times to do an interview, and um, he's in Phil Carr type words has told me no. Um, what can you tell me about <laughs> um, uh, Phil as a coach? A tactician, I think. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, he was able to attract a, a lot of um, a lot of players in his time frame, but he still was able to get the best out of a lot of local guys. You know, they're all a lot of those guys were actual figgy boys that stayed with the club, and um, you know, some of them would have been uh, attracted or, or certainly uh, getting some interest from bigger money clubs. But he, you know, I think uh, uh, him able able to maintain results and him just get a few extra guys in here and there rather than just totally changing the culture and the, the player uh, roster at a club um, showed what he was about for for many many years. So so again to um, to, to get there and play uh, in the red and blues and and with some guys that you'd always admired as a younger guy it was um, yeah it was overdue I guess that was it was great to do it finally. And in those years, um, although it might not have happened um, as much, and, and football has many layers to it, like you said, in, in, the, in that opportunity to go back to Fig Tree, your junior club, your home club would have been great. But um, in that period, even at Lysarts and then at Fig Tree, to, to play with your brother, um, when you reflect on it now, uh, that would have meant uh, quite a bit as well. Yeah, it was great. Um, even in under-19 level, let alone uh, eventually some first-grade uh, games at uh, either those clubs or others. Um, it was uh, not, nice for mum and dad too, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it was great. And um, both uh, different styles of players, different, <laughs> clearly different builds. When I'm not even six foot and he's six foot four, so uh, you know we're in different, very different positions. And um, uh, so we weren't competing against each other, which is probably nice too. So uh, yeah, no, it was it was always a, a family novelty there. 97 um, was you went to Northern United, um, which for people that aren't local listeners was, uh, um, and if you haven't heard my previous podcast, was a merged entity between uh, Russellvale and Coromel Rangers for a period several years. Um, was Phil Carr the draw card that made you uh, join them? Yeah, for whatever reason, I, I, I can't even remember the reasons why uh, Phil made the move uh, after many, many years. Um, uh, at being at Fig Tree, but yeah, it was, and it was. I guess it was flattering to to have him as one of the better coaches asking you to come over with him. So yeah, it was a, it was it was a bit of a 
a flattery thing. And, uh, and you know, there was a few of the guys that were some of those stalwarts. Jamie Dummett, Rodney Hill comes to mind that also came over from Fig Tree. And then we got to know a lot of good guys at that club as well, you know, with that merger of Coromel and, and Russell Vale. And, again, guys that um, you still run into or even play against in old boys football these days. Um, uh, some of those guys are a bit younger than me, but... Um, but uh, yeah, got, it was a, it was a great club. Good good time to be involved. Billy Glancy comes to mind as well. So yeah, no, it was uh, it was good to get to know those guys and, and enjoy the year there. Also, you then um, like you had in your timeline. You you then went back to um, talking about merged entities. Uh, you went back to mm. um, Western Suburbs Soccer Club, which was a merger between your home club, Fig Tree, and and Unandera. So. Um, uh, obviously, you'd made the decision uh, to go back there in '98, but was there sadness to it in a sense because your home club, um, you got to play a season in '96 at the senior club and it's your junior club, and and now it's sort of mixed in with another club. Was it a bit weird? A little bit, but I, I think it was a really good merger for, especially for those first few years. It was interesting, you know. You remember a couple of, yeah. There was a little bit of a rivalry between Fig Tree and Unidera, being the the neighbours and all that sort of thing. And I think, um, yeah, there's a couple of guys there that you end up, uh, you know, having a bit of a tussle with here and there in those games. And then, uh, as is often the case, you end up in the same team with them, and uh, you end up getting on like a house on fire. And it was exactly like that. Pretty much every, everyone really got on exceptionally well. And it was a very, initially, in those early days at least, a very uh, successful merger. So, um, uh, West, I, I recall West Leagues, who was obviously sponsoring both clubs, I, I think they were part of the encouragement of that merger to occur, seeing they were financing two clubs. Yeah, no, I, look, we went back, and, and again, it was sort of a tough decision because we weren't unhappy at Northern United, but... Yeah, we thought, sort of felt like you know, West Fig Tree suffered considerably from the departure of us uh, as players and, and more significantly Phil, uh, Phil Carr. So uh, I think there was a little bit of obligation there uh, yeah. that we go back when they come uh, come calling. And again, we were playing with our mates, our schoolmates and you know, club mates from many years and a lot of them were still there as well. So... Yeah, it was a decision, and, and you know, it was a decision also that you had to go back to the conf- what was called the Conference League then, the second tier, yeah. and it was uh, with a view to you know, there's a bit of reluctance with that, but we knew we'd have a decent team, and um, and uh, it was with a view to try and get them promoted as quick as we can in the Premier League. And what was um, what were some of the players that you played with in in that first year? Some of the guys there. The younger guys, I recall, you know, you had Dom McGill, who went on to do well, Shane McGurr. So both of them were very young guys starting to get a look in in first grade. Uh, they had really good careers, um, but, you know, both of them playing uh, uh, into the MPL type, well, what's MPL now, State League probably back then. Um, as far as uh, the first grade concerned, you had, um, let me think, well, you still had people involved like, like Phil Brown. I think Phil Brown was probably starting to finish up his playing then, but he was still uh, still there to be seen. As far as some of the Unidera boys, the McCants boys, yep. uh, we got really close with. Um, and also, uh, that's uh, also the Dowd boys, Declan and Terry Dowd. You know, they, they, they were guys that we ended up clicking with very quickly. Um and, uh, you know, some good footballers there too. You know, Decker was a, a noted striker for some time. And uh, Terry, very smart, 
and skillful player. Never going to run much for you, <laughs> but uh, but you could get away with it more back then. Whereas now you've got to run a half marathon, I think, to to be uh, picked. But um, yeah, so that you know, it's just, guys like that jump out at me, not just because of um, being decent footballers, but um, but uh, blokes that we uh, we got on with pretty well. And Chris Dunleavy, obviously, he's got a lot mm-hmm. of pedigree in the game in terms of his professional career and then NSL. Um, he was the coach in that first year. So, um, how did he mm-hmm. come across in your mind? Yeah, he was look lovely, lovely guy. Uh, as you say, a, a strong uh, professional background in, in football. And if memory serves, I, it was a bit before my time in, in Wollongong. But uh, you know, he, he just came, I think he ended up in Wollongong because he came to play for the Wolves. And so it says yeah. a lot about. Guy, he wasn't alone in that, I guess, but uh, Holyfield's probably a good example there too. But, um, but yeah, you know that that sort of uh, shows what football does for people. And yeah, look again, um, a, a very good guy and um, a strong knowledge base, and um, probably technically as far as the training it was a, a little bit old, older school, but, but but enjoyable at the same time. Enjoyed enjoyed working under him. Yeah. And how did it change uh, in the next couple of years in '99 and 2000 when when you had Larry Gaffney as the first grade coach? Yeah, Larry, being an old Dunedera boy, uh, obviously there was uh, that sort of link to get another old boy from either Fig Tree Dunedera involved. And and I, you know, I do recall, um, you know, I think Chris was disappointed with that at the time, uh, which which I can understand. Um, but that's the, the, the decision that they made. So, and we didn't get promotion that first year, although I think we were up there. Uh, I think we were very close to promotion. Yeah, I think it was about third. Yeah. Thirdish. Yeah, we were very competitive at least. And, you know, with a bit more luck, might have been able to do it. But I think in hindsight, if you're getting a brand new club with 50 50 number of players in your first grade team and largely local boys. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good achievement by uh, by Chris and um, and the committee uh, as well at that time. And then, yeah, obviously the foundation was already laid. There was a few extra guys that came in at that point um, when when Larry came in, who were local guys, the, the Barilla boys, the Barilla cousins um, yeah. came. Uh, David Cuda too. So that obviously they were young, noted players at that time. Um, I, I, I just can't recall if it was that first year or the second year of Larry's reign that those guys come in, but it, it sort of started to show what was going on there. I also recall Larry being good mates with Robert Giraldi, so Giraldi was uh, involved as well, and he was great. He sort of player coached a little bit, if my memory serves. Um, Stewie Beattie is another one I should be mentioning too. He he was uh, not long finished playing with um, the old woman on Macedonia after he yeah. came out from his professional career in Scotland. Um, that was that was an experience to play with him and to get to know him personally. He also had a, a brother-in-law from Sydney, another Scott, Jimmy Berry, who was um, uh, probably the, a bit like Tim Cahill, not the biggest guy, but could just get up like a salmon and put a put a <laughs> you know put a ball on the end of his head and get it in. Um, so it was nice to go play wide and deliver balls into someone like him too. So those next year or two, those sort of guys come in and. Yeah, it was good. It was good fun, and you know, obviously, again, it would be uh, remiss of me not to mention someone of those uh, that caliber, especially with the career that Stewie Booty had. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Before we uh, continue on with your next move in two thousand one, which was with Bulleye, um, in that ninety nine and two thousand, you had involvement there at the Wollongong Wolves as a director. Mm. 
Can you talk about um, how that evolved and what being a director in the NSL in the late 90s uh, meant and, and what were your experiences there? It was a good life experience for that season. You know, I, I was 24, I think, at that, you know, yeah. for 99 and turning, uh, hang on, I'm going to do my math here. So, yeah, it would have been 25-ish, give or take, at that time. So still playing uh, at West and under Gaffney in real estate, you know, starting to get a little bit established after a few years in, the, in, in that industry. Obviously, I had a strong involvement for many years. As many, some would know, my old man was, was chairman of the Wolves. Yep. From the from the Ratcliffe era, uh, halfway probably halfway through the Ratcliffe era, through to he was actually instrumental during the Bertie Mariani coaching era, um, and then he also put in, which was obviously pretty significant, Nick Theodorakopoulos um, after Harry Michaels, who was a, obviously a financial backer of the club in previous years as well, but he encouraged my father Brian to. Um, take it on a, a young unknown coach in Nick and uh, history was pretty well written then wasn't it yeah. um, and, and the years to go on so with all that um, just to use that use those descriptions to give a timeline there of where it was about yeah you know, we were heavily involved as a family at the Wolves at that point as well and you know we'd always be dragged in to, to help out and do a bit of work here and there so it wasn't uh, we were already part of the fabric a little bit uh, obviously that that sort of experience both from a football point of view and a business point of view I thought was going to be valuable for me if, if they chose to put me on as a director and they did and um, yeah it was great I mean it was good to literally go from ball boying, ball boying and, and spectating through to a little bit of playing and then um, and then you know put your uh, put your money where your mouth is and uh, quite literally in fact and and actually uh, get on and, and help out with the new the new partnership of owners that, that came in to largely rescue the club and, and keep it going and lead it to some success, as it turned out, in 2000 and 2001. And without, uh, I guess, detailing uh, uh, personal or private information, um, mm-hmm. what, had, what had happened to the club in that period of time that it needed rescuing? Oh, I think, um, look, I, I think in fairness, uh, and again, it was before my time being a director, of course. But you know, from my knowledge through the old man, I, I think it was. Um, I don't think it was going down, but it needed a proper injection. Otherwise, one, it wouldn't be too far down the track that you you may struggle to have an NSL team in the Illawarra. And number two, um, didn't want to just have a team; wanted to have it competitive. Yep. And uh, I remember at that time, uh, probably just before I become a director. My old man, uh, as as being the the outgoing chairman, uh, presenting to, or the soon to be outgoing chairman, and and presenting to this new consortium that they were probably only a couple of players away from being a you know some, something to uh, something to be reckoned reckoned with, and um, seemingly that would um, that would <laughs> probably the crystal ball was working pretty well for 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 my dad Brian and uh, and Nick at that stage to suggest that that was the case. So, yeah, they got a couple of extra players in. I think they probably worked out really well with the players they got. The likes of Savinsky would have started coming in at that point and Stewie Young, you know, they were playing in Asia at that point, you know, both culturally and, and in talent terms. Uh, that was probably the icing on the cake that needed to, to make it the team that it was uh, amongst what Nick had put together through a lot of his state league knowledge and bringing guys in 
and giving them opportunities at uh, at the Wolves. And yeah, like I said, um, what a great era that was to be involved in. And uh, you know, I often brag that it was the one year I was on the board that um, they won that first grand final. So I'll I'll take that. And uh, <laughs> but. Um, no, it was a, it was a good experience, not just from a football point of view, which you obviously mainly do it for to contribute. But yeah, what a business experience as well. You, you're dealing with some quite notable people in, in Illawarra business at the time, and uh, you know the pros and the cons of how they manage that is a real eye opener uh, as well. So um, yeah, no, I look back on it with um, uh, as some, some uh, yeah really good life lessons for me overall. Did you uh, have the ability to then go over to Perth and, and watch that first grand final? Yeah. And, and what was that like? Oh, it was magic. Uh, we copped a lot of grief that day um, <laughs> from uh, 40,000, you know, fans in purple. But uh, that day I remember running off. Uh, so we were playing uh, under gaff at, at West yep. uh, that year and there was a few of us. Uh, there was myself, Trevor Whittett, who yeah. was a, obviously a noted striker, and of course John Kranovich, uh, who uh, was in goals for us, and we all had tickets to go to that game. So we literally ran off the pitch, had a quick shower. I had my my then girlfriend, now wife, literally in the car, ready to rock and roll, wow. and bolt bolt to the <laughs> airport so that we could make uh, one of the last flights to get to Perth. And uh, so it all fell into place. We all we we all got there. Thankfully, without any issues, uh, Doc Floro, who was the old Wolves uh, doctor at that time, also jumped in the car with us. I remember there was five of us crammed into a not too not too flash car back then, and um, and uh, we made that made that trip, and uh, it was worth all the the crazy running around that we did. Uh, clearly, the, uh, made didn't feel like it at half time, of course, when we were down three nil and getting absolutely caned by the fans, but. Uh, uh, we yeah got back. Obviously, everyone knows the story. Even if they're not football people, I think that uh, they won that in, in penalties after leveling it in the 89th minute via Paul Reed, and um, and uh, we literally drank the hotel dry of beer <laughs> that night. Uh, with about I don't know, there would have been a couple of hundred of us at least at the um, at the hotel we were all staying at. So yeah, that was that was uh, pretty a bit of a highlight, obviously. And uh, in in your heart and, and mind, uh, did you think it was uh, all but over at halftime? Pretty much, yeah. It had to be resigned to the fact that you know we better score quick if we're going to. Uh, I guess you didn't lose all hope, and you you know uh, you, you give it a go. But yeah, I guess I guess you always got to look. If someone scores three or four against you in one half, why can't you? <laughs> and uh, it's interesting hearing the stories, uh, obviously about all that in the years gone by. But uh, yeah, no, it was um, it was uh, great to um, to experience it again. A, a big life experience, not just from not just in football terms. Did you get to go behind the scenes post the game uh, with the players? Yeah, I was uh, being, being a director that year. I got the all I got the pass, so I used and abused that a bit. And yeah, so no, definitely. Uh, Definitely got to enjoy that uh, little extra luxury of mine of getting into uh, where a normal spectator wouldn't get into. So it was good fun. And it was literally pandemonium? Yep. Absolute <laughs> madness. Um, you know, it's, it's, some of the memories probably sketchy because it's just one of those moments that you just, you know, you can't really believe. Yeah, probably fine. a little bit. Little, yeah, and, and to be somewhat, uh, you know, almost directly involved, I guess, even though you're not part of the playing staff or anything. But, um 
But um, yeah, to be involved was a huge, huge thrill and nice that we could contribute to that sort of thing. On the flight back, were you with the team on the flight back or did you get another flight in? No, yeah, <laughs> there's another part of the story. We actually got jibbed on uh, on the flight, so there were some cancellations and delays. We were actually on the plane at, on the right time, and there was a uh, a part needed for the plane. So after an hour or two of being absolute, uh, you know, obviously giving it a very strong nudge, and then we caught the red eye back to back to Sydney. And uh, yeah, we're waiting on a plane for an hour or two. They said, "I'll oh, just wait. We'll, we'll get this part, and we'll be fine. We might be an hour. Let's wait." Well, two hours later, they said, "Sorry, we've got to get you off the plane." And then we didn't get on a plane until 6 a.m.-ish, and that was a proverbial fight um, uh, to get on flights. And so we ended up being, the group in general had got a bit broken up uh, just to get on flights as you could. So, uh, you know, I, I know when uh, the, most of the boys got on, obviously, in one flight, and, you know, they got, had Chipperfield driving the bus down, of course, down the latter stages of it all to, uh, to arrive home at the fraternity. And I remember getting to the frat that they'd already arrived so I, yeah it was sort of all like that but yeah it was very cool and I remember my brother he wasn't over there in Perth but uh, he was at the frat of course and he just said uh, the, the frat's just gone effing off after the uh, the wind so yeah you sort of sense what was going on back home even though we uh, we weren't there at that once yeah you know, once that final uh, penalty was taken yeah and uh, for people outside the area, the the fraternity club is uh, an Italian-based registered club um, and has been for several decades in the Illawarra in Ferry Meadow, close to, to Brandon Park and sponsored Ferry Meadow United, let alone the Wolves. So um, a, a big footballing club it would have mm. been uh, packed to the rafters. And it's good to see them doing well these days. And now that they're doing well, they're, they're supporting football very strongly again too, which is awesome. And was it just a matter of, in terms of being a director, that your um, life and, I guess, family stuff then took over, that you then uh, put your director's hat off? Look, I just felt like um, at that time there was probably, uh, I don't know, probably not a big need for me there as as such. They weren't sort of chasing me down. And um, so if someone invited me, I would have done it, but I wasn't invited. I was very much the young guy. I think I made a good contribution, though. I, I was largely looking after match day uh, operations, both financially and the running of things. And, again, a great experience for a young guy to do that sort of thing. And, um, uh, you know, you're even dealing with the media and things like that, too. So, no, I, I, look, I, I think I, I gave a, a, a good innings in that year. And, um, you know, there's a lot said for uh, just being able to enjoy the football without having to uh, stress about you know, uh, financials and so forth as well. So, I would have ha- I would have happily helped them, but at the same time, I was happy to uh, let someone else do it at the same time and just go and enjoy watching the games. Two thousand and one, um, you headed out to Bulleye, and and when I look at hmm. um, your your football timeline, a lot of things make sense. You know, when you went to Lysarts, like you said, it was a neighbouring club. You know, when you went to Northern United, um, Phil Carr, and Western Suburbs, when you went back there, the merged entity. So, um, how on earth did you get to Bulleye in two thousand and one? So. Uh... Didn't or didn't always see eye to eye with with Larry with Larry Gaffney, so uh, felt I should look at my options. I remember speaking to Kevin Love. I, I think it was more a, a social. Oh, it may may have been a Wolves uh, sort of association or yeah. just a social association otherwise. And he said both uh, to me and and Paul. In fact, if I'm honest, you probably thought of Paul first. Uh, in fairness, but um, 
uh, yeah, he said, oh, look, if you want to come and have a come and have a run, by all means. And well, you know, it wasn't a hard sell because obviously they're such a good club, and uh, obviously a great ground there, Bulls Paddock. Still is a great ground, even though it's an older ground now. So yeah, went out there to have a look as an option because I wasn't going to be able to play under under Larry, unfortunately, at West. Even though I really enjoyed uh, the club there and the people otherwise. And yeah, went to had a, had a year there. Uh, Bruce Tilt was the coach who had been uh, brought down from a successful stint uh, with Helensburg after two or three years with them, I think it was. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, enjoyed it. I don't think we were, we weren't overly successful. We just things didn't uh, quite gel initially. I think, uh, but yeah, look, I enjoyed my time with Bulleye, and I think you'd be hard pressed not to enjoy a club like Bulleye. And I, I had a good, I, I had a good run, you know. But basically, played all year. I, I don't think I was on the bench much, if at all, maybe once or twice at the most. And um, yeah, you know, when you're playing with the likes of probably Pado comes to mind in particular, Rod Patterson, yeah. you know, such a stalwart of that club and someone you could knock a few balls in for to, to, to put away. I think Rob Baker had come back as well after stints with uh, Olympic, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, so two guys that you sort of played against before and then there was a, a, a sort of a bunch of younger guys that was coming in otherwise. So I was probably slightly, you know, towards the upper half. A couple of guys that, that um, he had brought in, one of them was Dean Heffernan, um, who was a, a bit of an upstart Young, young, eighteen, nineteen-year-old, I reckon, <laughs> at that point, and uh, I think it, at that stage is it, interesting. It's probably one of the most interesting stories I've I've seen and I've been able to witness in football. And that you know, he, at that stage, he probably backed himself a little bit too much, and I think he's sensible enough to acknowledge this. So I hope he doesn't get offended if I if I'm uh, saying if he hears this. But yeah, um, yeah at that stage, he um, probably just had to do a few more yards before he could justify doing that. And um, pretty much from that season onwards, he started to. And it was um, going from local football, almost almost Chipperfield-like, you know, was going from, even though he had a good youth career, to my understanding, in reps levels, he uh, he ended up going through from local football in, in the Illawarra with Bulleye through to the Wolves and then on to A-League as it came through. And from there, he... Um, yeah, he got contracts overseas and Socceroo caps and so forth. So, yeah, that was probably one of the, the more interesting aspects of um, of that time uh, to to observe him. Yeah, and like you said, we all have uh, witnessed uh, sort of those rises to the top, and and they're they're enjoyable to watch, like Scott Chipperfield. But in your I guess soccer journey. You, you've seen that with Noel Spencer as well. So, did yeah, you? Yeah. Did, when you see blokes like Noel and and Dean, do you? When you're there at training and whatnot, do you see that that there is something a bit extra that they have? Yeah, in di- and in different ways. You know, like Noel, as I said, he was probably 14, 15 max when he was starting to play 19s. He was a big kid. Yep. Um, that obviously helped him a little bit, but. Um, yeah, Noel was uh, a state-level footballer as well as a cricketer. So ter- terribly untalented, clearly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he obviously had um, that presence of mind uh, with vision and uh, a wonderful left foot, thunderous left foot uh, vision, and just that knack to find the right ball. Hef uh, Hef was more of an athlete. He was one of the few guys that, uh, I, you know, I, I could always run pretty well. 
uh, both uh, the distance and and in, with speed, and he was quicker than me. Uh, I couldn't keep up with him in training drills, whereas even when I was at the Wolves, I could probably not beat Matty Horsley, but I could uh, pretty much account for everyone else that I, I'd come across, be it in the youth team or uh, even when we had the chance to train with first graders. So it was interesting, yeah. So straight away, he's got pace and, and, and a touch So um, with, with Hefo too. So you, you, they... They both had the hallmarks, and um, you know Noel probably got that more natural progression, and you know quickly came out of Premier League as a very young guy and got identified and got you know Wolves youth team, and then onto the first grade through Nick as well. Um, whereas Hefo probably had to, from the outside looking in, that is, um, just get his head right, you know, because he had enough talent, and uh, clearly he did that, and that's probably in a lot of ways uh, even even more admirable in some ways that he, he realised he had to switch on and uh, gee didn't he do that so good you know come in you know both those guys and obviously Chipperfield earlier on yeah yeah definitely 2002 through to 2004 you went to a club uh, who had I guess more of their prime or were uh, super strong in in the 70s in Berkeley um, and, mm. and you went back um, a division as well with Phil Brown uh a notable superstar in the Illawarra Premier League as coach. So uh, what was the uh, thinking in that decision and, and what was it like in those three years from 2002 to 2004? I was just finding I could I, I felt good enough still. Uh, like I said, I, I felt quite comfortable with um, an enjoyable, uh, had an enjoyable time at, at Bulleye and, and I, I would have been happy to stay there. But the only thing that was starting to come into my personal life was my my business my work and uh, I guess I literally started at 19 in, in real estate so for for many years um, more than a decade at that time I had been running around like a headless chook uh, you know both real estate and football uh, are both very after hours and very yeah. weekend orientated so it was not unusual, probably the frustration of some coaches for me not to be there an hour before kickoff. You know, it might be 30 minutes before kickoff, I've still got a tie on, um, you know, running into the straight into the dressing rooms, which, you know, a lot of coaches were very understanding of as well. But, I, you know, I tried to make sure I put in on a pretty good trainer and all that sort of thing. So I think that helped uh, that they'd put up with that a bit more. For many, many years, it was a, a case of, okay, generally speaking, I was more often than not keeping a first grade team, uh, a first grade spot. Um, at um, at some Premier League clubs, but um, yeah, I probably just wanted to take take the foot off the pedal a little bit more. Quite yeah. frankly, um, feel a little bit more secure just playing at three o'clock safely. Um, like I said before, you know, I can't always play regular. I could occasionally play a reserve grade game, but not regularly. So uh, the fact that I could go to Conference League, there was some fig tree boys that were all going there. Yep. Uh, at obviously with Phil Brown's influence there being the case uh, and some particularly close mates uh, and my brother went as well and it was just yeah it was just a, a enjoyable you know we enjoyed the guys there at the time it was probably when Berkeley started to mature a little bit more again it was probably a little bit after that time that they had some quite good uh, results uh, both at the start of that time and particularly probably just afterwards too, where they, they perhaps yeah. arguably should have been promoted, et cetera, which is controversial and, and disappointing in my view that they didn't get uh, at least an opportunity to be promoted back then. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Sold to the Earth Club. A lot of guys that have been there a long time. 
which I think says a lot about a club, a little bit like Bulleye perhaps. And, you know, a great facility. You know, I've gone from Bulls Paddock and then if you're going to go to Conference League, you're playing at, you know, next to the the, the, the Berkeley Sports Club there. And, uh, you know, you've got your licensed club on the premises as well. And, you know, all that sort of thing was pretty cool. So um, even though it wasn't um, the most fashionable club, uh, and you know, people probably said, "Oh, what are you? You know, what are you going there for uh, when you're still playing okay?" But yeah, it was more a lifestyle decision, I think, at the end of the day, just to um, start taking it a little bit easier. And what about Phil Brown? Um, I've interviewed him, and um, yep. a, a superb player. As other people have mentioned that I've interviewed elsewhere as well, have said he possibly could have played, or definitely could have played at a higher level, um, but was just a superstar in the Premier League. Uh, what was he like as a coach? Yeah, well, I'd already had a little bit of a taste because he'd been involved with Fig Tree or Wes as well, even when he stopped playing. Uh, he was coaching at times there as well. So you, you know with Phil that, that he knows the game. You know, he, he knows uh, he's a very smart man. You know, Actually, I remember hearing your uh, interview with him and his recollection of the finer details of those games in the past was crazy. Um, yeah, no, he's excellent. <laughs> So with um, yeah, with Phil, he's, he's, he knows the game well. He's probably not the most technical guy in relation to training sessions and so forth, but he was still very good. Yeah, you know, he's an old uh, an old mate, an old family friend through Fig Tree days, and um, yeah, we were happy collectively. And you know, I, a few mates that went over there at the same time. Paul and I both went there. A good mate of mine still to this day, Jason Lusink, and also Frank Deleuze, who was yep. a goalkeeper from West as well. You know, I think it was uh, four of us that went from Fig Tree. Uh, Matty Clark also, not the tall Matty Clark there. Another Matty Clark is an old Yindera boy came over also. So uh, Neil Webster, I should say, also uh, happened to be there who was a, who was a mate uh, back then and, and still is now as well. So, um, yeah, it's just a few guys that were keen to go over and just enjoy their football and maybe do it, in my case at least, do it with a little, little less uh, burden of um, obligations. You've spoken about the uh, intensity of working on weekends and playing football as well. So from 2005 up until uh, even today, you've you've played um, amateur football, um, whether it be with yep. Harp Olympic, uh, Mates United, the Barockers, the Coldar Waves. Was that a, a gradual decision to make sure that you could have that uh, family and work balance as well as keep that sort of... I guess, foot in the water with the game? Yeah, and I think I could also, like I was starting to do my own running, I guess, when I was playing. Um, yeah, I was always a, a decent, you know, I had a decent set of engines, so I always had the idea of maybe doing, you know, some running events, you know, half and full marathons and that sort of thing, and that wasn't really going to happen when you're making a commitment at, at Premier League or even Conference League levels. So I guess it sort of freed me up just to do some different training, still maintaining a good level of fitness. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I got to go and do a number of marathons and half marathons and things like that and um, play amateur league, not have the typical training as such. You know, like you know, after 30-something years, you start to get a bit bored with normal, you know, <laughs> six o'clock training sessions every night. Uh, well, certainly I was at least anyway, so... I was keeping a good level of fitness still with the running. I was playing touch footy too, so I think that was really that's always been really good fitness to minimise my injuries for for still playing uh, amateur league football. You would have seen uh, uh, 
amateur league really uh, go from strength to strength in terms of numbers. Um, mm. uh, what is that? You're still playing now. Um, yep. Forgetting uh, COVID and what it's uh, done to society and football. But uh, what's the draw card for you for, for amateur football in the Illawarra? I just want to play. I still enjoy playing, to be honest. Um, I uh, you know, still have a love for the game. I'm, I'm not... I'm not too bad for my age uh, as far as um, health, touch touch wood um, and fitness. So uh, to be able to keep playing with, uh, and generally, I've, you know, if we win, that's great, but it's more about uh, just having a good bunch of guys that uh, whose company I enjoy and, um, you know, have a few beers with uh, during the course of the season as well. So socially, it's great and fitness-wise, it's good. Um, yeah, I think to be honest, the, the local amateur league or community league, as they call it these days, is uh, uh, extremely strong. Probably in part because uh, for some years they obviously got rid of reserve grade in the Premier Leagues and so yeah. forth. So uh, that obviously uh, uh, added more people through to um, through the community league levels. Um, so it's, it's actually kept a pretty good standard for for what you know for it all just being park football, but. Uh, yeah, so no, it's really just an excuse to keep playing and I'll, you know, move it or lose it. I'll, I'll keep playing for as long as I can. I remember my first uh, year with Half Olympic, um, I was having a chat with someone and they said, oh, yeah, so you finished another year without an injury. I said, yeah, got a grand final, so it looks like I've avoided injury. Well, I, I popped my ACL on that. <laughs> and that final, I think that was about 2006, roughly, uh, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Actually, that team was a good team, though. You know, if you're going to talk about like good, good bunch of guys... Yeah, the the team there. They either every almost everyone that either played a very good level of Premier League or National League. Wow. Um, yeah, so you had had the likes of uh, uh, let's think, Goran Trajewski, uh, Peros in goals, uh, Richard Lloyd, uh, Rade Rade Stevanovski, um, Johnny Danzo. Yeah, that's that's just the guys with Dennis. Oh, Peter Willis, of course. Who was uh, Crazy. who was getting getting on, but still, uh, you know, he was, it was good. I'd never seen him play because it, he, he finished playing NSL stuff and a little bit of Premier League. I guess I saw him, but uh, you know, I'd mainly seen him at the coast. So to actually see him play, albeit in a slower version of himself, was still great. Uh, yeah, so that was that was fun. Uh, Bobby Brody was uh, he's a good mate of mine, and uh, he was uh, he was in that team, which sort of uh, added to the initial appeal. Besides. Um, Knowing a lot of those guys just from the local football scene and and Wolf Day, so no, so uh, that that kicked it off. It was a good first year, and then um, yeah, had a little bit of interruption for the next one, obviously, but got back to play halfway through that next year, and yeah, just kept playing wherever I could get a gig. And like I say, where there was a bunch of guys that I was enjoying spending time with. The love of football uh, doesn't just uh, happen for you at a local level. Uh, you, you're a Liverpool fan, um, and obviously in the last few years, um, it's been superb um, from your perspective. Uh, but you did get to go and watch them in, in 2005 and 2007 in the Champions League, didn't you? Got to see that. It was like a replication of uh, of Perth, of the <laughs> Wolves-Perth grand final. It was you know 3-0 down. We'd gone to Istanbul. I ended up being very much a family thing for my brother and my dad and I. And um, Nick, Nick Theodore Acopolis also joined us, who, was a, who some people may know is, is actually a travel agent, uh, has a, quite a successful business there in Sydney. And um, I, my old man also 
probably between both my old man and and Nick knew um, Bernie Mandich, who is or who was at that time Harry Kuehl's agent. Yeah. I remember going arriving in. It was a mad rush trip, of course. Uh, it was Sunday to Sunday, uh, as far as fly out and fly in is concerned. So it was pretty pretty big trip for a relatively short time frame. But um, uh, I remember all the all the Liverpoolians, all the Scousers, uh, hearing our access to say, how did you guys get tickets? Because <laughs> no one could get a ticket. And we just had sales on the internet, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, so effectively, even though we didn't get to meet him, but Harry Kuehl got us the tickets. And, um, yeah, it was – I remember getting SMSs at halftime at the Ataturk Stadium in just outside Istanbul itself. And um, they uh, they were saying, oh, well, at least you got to go to the game. It's a pretty cool first live Liverpool game that you got to see. And I just you – know, I, I remember replying. It was just copying and pasting on these SMSs saying, remember Perth. Remember Perth, and uh, it was quite ironic that we were there with Nick, and uh, you know we're literally seeing very similar things. You know, Nick made changes at half time, which uh, started to uh, make the, the change pretty quickly out of the blocks in the second half, and Liverpool largely did that too. Um, although, you know, on a Saturday night, uh, Harry Harry Kuehl did uh, I think rip a tendon off his uh, yeah. pelvic bone or something, and, and got dragged uh, about 25 minutes in roughly, but. Uh, but yeah, but you know, there was a couple of changes made, and um, yeah, Haman and those sort of guys coming in and started to steady the ship, and yeah, that was uh, that was yeah, couldn't have written a better script for us as far as making such a big commitment financially and practically speaking to uh, to bugger off and jag these tickets, and um, yeah, probably the biggest, uh, the best game of the Champion League history, as it turned out. If we can delve into your personal life, um, mm-hmm. uh, football's an involvement you have with uh, your sons as well. Um, can you speak a bit yeah. about that in terms of uh, your involvement with them, whether it be coaching or generally watching them and, and how this uh, makes you feel? Oh, and, uh, thankfully, both the boys uh, are enjoying their football. Uh, Thomas was born in '05, so that was the year of, of that uh, Istanbul final. Ironically, and there was also, of course, the year, as some historians will recall, it was the year that we qualified for the 2006 World Cup as well. So there was a bit going on that year, <laughs> uh, both our football and the young bloke, uh, my oldest one to start with there. So, um, and then Jacob, funnily enough, was born in 07, which was the next uh, Champions League game, which we uh, we went to in Athens. Uh, ironically, again, Liverpool versus AC Milan again. So I don't know if there's anything in that, but... Um, <laughs> You know, they both uh, enjoy their football. Uh, Thomas watches every game he can, the eldest one. Um, I could take him to a game when he was two, and the only thing that was annoying was all the questions that he'd ask. He just had that natural uh, enjoyment and still to this day does. And he's 16, and um, he's just actually made the under-20s for South Coast United, so he's taking wow. a step up in ages, and that's really, you know, he's enjoying it. And I've actually been just recently brought on as an assistant coach in that team. So that's probably the first coaching gig I've had for some time. Uh, Jacob, my youngest one, uh, is currently in the under-15s uh, at the at the Flame. Uh, he has also played, both of them have also played junior wool setups, et cetera, as well. Uh, so that's been great that they've both played for uh, the Wolves, who I had a little bit of history playing with as well, let alone our family involvement otherwise. Yeah, he's a goalkeeper, in fact. So, uh, as I've jokingly said numerous times, I've often had to have a couple of chats with my wife just to see how that <laughs> happens. Um, 
but no, he's he's a handy goalkeeper, and um, yeah, yeah, enjoying watching both of them, and and as it turns out now, uh, getting a little bit of involvement. I'm not going to, you know, I can only do so much with my my career doesn't help with my coaching. Sadly, I've coached uh, Jacobs in in the past when um, he was at very young age groups. But uh, I guess the weekend side of it and the after hours side of it is a you know a clash as much as it was for playing, but also for uh, especially for coaching. So uh, I'd love to have done more. Maybe uh, we'll, my life will be busy at the moment, just trying to fit everything in with the uh, the coaching being added into things as well. And finally, um, do you uh, wonder what your life may have been? Um, if there was no football, because uh, it seems to me, um, uh, seeing your timeline first that you sent through, but then uh, talking through it now, that it's it's given you so much that maybe uh, it may have been quite empty in some respects if you didn't have football. Yeah, yeah, I, I I genuinely agree. I mean, the conversations I've had with my boys, especially when they're playing reps, so they're meeting kids from other areas of the region. You know, just your social network is is uh, amazing. You know, even people that you may not know super well, but you sort of acknowledge each other as you're passing each other, even if it's little little bits like that. I'm sure it's helped me with my business. Uh, maybe it's hindered it sometimes too if you kick someone the wrong way. <laughs> but, um, or, or had a bingle, because yeah, I, I do get a bit competitive at times. But um, no, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, definitely it's helped my business as well as uh, social uh, side of it, just general fitness and well-being. Uh, Obviously, that's a, that's a natural uh, benefit as well. Yeah, I, I think it would be, and and I think it's it's one of those sliding door things. You know, would would we have got in into football if we, if my old man didn't take a promotion down in the Illawarra when we were in Sydney and pictured ourselves going back to Sydney within a couple of years at that stage? But even when Dad got re-promoted with St George Bank uh, back in those days, um, you know, he got he got his promotions back in Sydney, but we stayed and he commuted. So we. Obviously, uh, you know, I don't think the, the football culture and a local point is much stronger. Well, certainly in my experience, it was much stronger here for us than it was going to be in Sydney. So, uh, yeah, one of those things, you, 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 like anyone's life, I guess certain things occur and uh, and that's your sliding door moments. And thankfully, that's, uh, yeah, it's been a really enjoyable part of our lives and, and an important one. Well, Daniel, I sincerely would like to thank you for your support, um, not just in this podcast by doing it, but in the social media space where you've uh, uh, helped people reminisce, link people in, and um, it's been truly fascinating, and uh, I've loved every minute of it, uh, to be honest, um, listening to you for the last uh, 90-odd minutes, and I want to thank you for being on the podcast and, and supporting me in many ways with this project. Oh, mate, congratulations to you. It's yeah, I, think, I know a lot of people. I've been without, uh, dare I say, pissing in the pocket, mate. I, and I genuinely have enjoyed listening to people I know and I don't even know uh, on your podcast. So uh, I don't think I've had the same uh, illustrious career as such as, as most of those guys. But, um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed being part of it. Thanks again for listening and downloading episode 66. I sincerely appreciate it. Sincere thanks to Daniel for the time he spent recounting his journey in the game. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.